man. Thanks. I appreciate that. Good morning. Good morning. I, yeah, you can be excited about church. That's good. I love that song, That Greater You, Lord. I just, I was like, can we just keep doing that? Like, I did, oh, it just makes me want to like jump and cry all at the same time. It's, it's the best. Uh, Seth Batista, that's my full name. I don't know if I got that far. I think I got to Seth. Uh, I get the, the privilege and the honor of serving as a youth pastor here at East Point. It is absolutely the best thing in the world. Uh, I'm jealous of myself sometimes. I'm like, that's sweet. You get to do that? That's great. Uh, I will have the ushers. You guys can go ahead and come now. Basically, this is a time, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you're like, what's happening? This is just where we, the people that are a part of the East Point family that go here all the time. Uh, it's where we have an opportunity to, to bring our tithes and our offerings. Sometimes people give online. Sometimes they like to bring hard copies. So that's what the buckets are for. If you're new, if you're visiting, please do not feel obligated to give. If you want to throw in a contact card so somebody can get a hold of you later, you could do that. But uh, don't feel like you have to give. We want this to be a gift to you. So I really, I wanted to kick off this morning. I wanted to talk to you guys about some March Madness, right? Can we talk about that? Is that okay? Like, go Zags, like, come on. Like, that's a, that's a Spokane thing. How many of you guys did brackets of any flavor? Maybe you had to, maybe you did them at work. Maybe you said, okay, I see, I see you. Like nine of us, that's good, that's good. That's, that doesn't derail my whole message, I promise. So it'll, it'll work. Uh, I, I'll, I gotta, you know, tell the truth. I'm not a, a college basketball guy all of the time. I don't like wake up thinking about it, go to bed thinking about it, but I loves me some March Madness. I do. I love everything about it. If you don't know, if you're like, I've heard that term, but I don't know what it is. It's basically there's 64 teams and you get to pick the winners of all of the games. You have to do it in advance, right? It's a little easier to do in retrospect. So you have to do it in advance and you pick all of them and you pick it and you, then you pick the champion of who's going to win the whole kit and caboodle. And what's great is when you do it with a group like at work or, uh, you know, at church or with your youth or whoever, whoever, um, you, you get points based on the picks and how well they do and how many games they win and all the things like that. And there's this thing and they actually call it bracketology. And it makes me really happy because that's a real word that we use now, bracketology. And it's about how we end up choosing who's going to win or lose. And what I both love and absolutely loathe about March Madness and real life, actually, uh, is that there's like these two kind of extremes of people, right? When it comes to this, there's, there's my people. I do the same thing in fantasy football and we just nerd out. Like we go so hard. It's like, wow, technically Villanova on defense has only, and you're like, who are you guy? Just pick the team, right? Like it's not that hard. There's two, you pick one, like 50, 50, you're going to be fine. Uh, and that, that's where I live. Cause I'm, uh, that's the world I live in. Uh, and then there's the other extreme that, you know, picks everybody by like their mascot. They're like, I'm going to pick all the puppies. And you're like, you can't, you can't, that's not a strategy. Like you can't pick a bracket by puppies. Stop it. Actually you can because Gonzaga is going to go all the way and they have a puppy as a mascot. So in this one case, that analogy is actually terrible. But in the rest of the time picking, like, and what's, what's amazing and beautiful and frustrating all at the same time about brackets in life is that there's some decisions we make that go basically embarrassingly well for us, right? Like you picked puppies for all, for your entire bracket and you're just dominating everyone, which by the way, that will be the person that wins at your office. They're just like, I don't even, I picked all the orange teams. And you're like, I no, that is not science. You can't win brackets. If you win and you did that, give the money back. It's only fair. It's only fair. Right. But there's, there's those people. And so some of these choices, they go embarrassingly well. Like they should have no business winning, but they just made all these choices and somehow they shook out and they win. And then the flip side of that is there's some choices that I feel like a gentle way to say it would be that maybe we're less than proud of, right? Like some people had Villanova winning the whole thing and they got dumped early and everyone's like, oh, my bracket is busted and my life is over. And uh, the joyful part of that is A, it's Villanova uh, and B, that we all, I would say, 
have made a choice at some point in our lives that we are less than proud of. Like, would you just raise your hand if you had ever one time in your life made a choice that you're less than proud of, ever, like ever at all? So all of us except for three people, I see you right there, yes. Everyone else, at some point in our lives, we've made a choice that we are, we are not maybe the most enthused about. Uh, and I think it's, it's pretty universal, right, of the human condition that we do that, that at some point we're like, oh, that was not, you know, as you speed by the cop, like, oh, like that was maybe not the best thing I could have been doing. Um, and when I was 16, I was a junior in high school, thought I had it all figured out because I was 16. Um, and I was hanging out with my best friend, Andy, and we were at his house and we were playing a, a computer game, just nerding out together. It was a Friday night. And I just looked at him and I was like, man, shouldn't we be out doing Stuff Like I had no real idea what stuff was. I was pretty sure my parents didn't approve of stuff. And I was pretty sure it wasn't gonna help me like walk with Jesus or, or help me be better scholastically. But I was also pretty sure I should be doing it. I was like, I feel like I'm missing out on this thing. And so I actually made a choice. I did some investigation into what stuff is. And I realized that I couldn't both walk with Jesus and walk with stuff. So I actually made a choice to walk away from Jesus. You hear these stories and people are like, you just kind of wandered away, right? It was like, how did that happen? Like you got lost? You're like, I don't even know. But I actually made a sit down decision that I was like, nope, I'm gonna live this life and not live this life anymore. I'm gonna do this. Um, and I hadn't thought too much about it, right? My life went on. I graduated high school, snuck through, uh, and then joined the Air Force. And I was a couple years into the Air Force and I was dating this beautiful young woman. Uh, she's now my wife, so I can say that. Somebody was like, can you just talk about girls? It's now my wife, it's okay. Uh, and she had been raised Catholic. I had been raised in Life Center. So if you know anything about either of those two things, there's a little bit of uh, maybe disconnect on how they view the world. So we were just chatting. You know, I'm trying to impress this girl, this girl like, hey, you know. And she asked me what I thought about eternity. And uh, I was deploying off and on to Afghanistan at that point, so it was kind of a big deal. It was like, well, if you die today, like, what do you think is gonna happen from your biblical background, from what you understand? And I just remember, I didn't even hesitate. It wasn't even a, a question or a conversation for me. I was like, I'll go to hell, absolutely. If I die, I'll go to hell. She was like, what? Why would you say that? And I was like, well, because I chose to walk away from God. I was like, that, that's what happens. That's, that's math, that's science. That's how you pick a bracket, right? That's how it works. It's like, I chose to walk away from God, so I go to hell, and not only would I go, but I would deserve it. Like, God's not a bad God for that. Like, that's what I would deserve, because that's, that's who I am. And, and this turns out, I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out apparently, occasionally, I'm wrong about some things. Like I didn't know that in my life. I was like, I was, I was nailing it. I was like 22 and I knew everything, right? But it turned out that I was actually wrong about that. As I opened the Bible and read it for myself and started to see what was actually in there, it turns out that having brokenness in our past, that having made some horrifically poor choices, some, some terrible sins as we like to rate them, that doesn't actually determine how much God loves me and it doesn't determine how he's gonna use me in the future. It doesn't actually disqualify me for things. And I didn't understand that. I was like, not only does it disqualify me for things, it means I go to hell. So that's pretty much disqualified for everything. But here's the big idea for today. That is the heart of this whole message. It's that in Christ, my past does not determine who I am or who I will become. See, part of what makes the gospel so beautiful and so powerful is that it actually takes into account that we are worse than we know. And that is a weird concept for me because we don't talk about that a lot at church. We talk about grace, which is beautiful, and God's love, which is beautiful, and his mercy, and, all, and they are these incredible things. But, but the gospel is such a big deal because it starts with 
we are worse than we actually know. And again, there's kind of the spectrum, right? There's people that are like, oh no, I know I'm bad. Like, <laughs> let me tell you, like this is the list, right? There's people that, are, that live in that place. And then there's kind of the general American culture of today that's like, well, I'm pretty good. Like on a scale of one to a hundo, like I'm probably like a 75. That's like a C, right? Me plus like a little bit of Jesus puts me right over the top. I will be good to go, right? Like we, we do though. It sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, but you talk to people, what's the number one thing people say about themselves? I'm a good person, like nailed it, uh, right? Like that's what we believe and we just need a little bit of Jesus and it'll put us over the hump. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is powerful and life-changing because it starts with you're worse than you could possibly know. And yet in that same moment, in that same instant, you are more loved and more forgiven than you could ever dare to hope. It's this depth of brokenness that I can't even understand saying, I don't need you, God, and that it's being overwhelmed by, and yet I'm so loved and forgiven in the midst of that choice. And what's incredible is that that is the message. That's the story of the Bible. And it's not just the overarching story. It's in the individual stories. And if you haven't learned that, if you haven't heard that, if you haven't read that for yourself, I would challenge you to go back and reread your Bible. Because that is over and over and over again, the story that you see. Read about Paul. Read about Rahab. Read about David. Read about Gideon. Read about these people in the Bible. And that's their story. It's these broken, just hot mess people that you're just like, ooh, that we would automatically disqualify for things. We would look at and be like, he's not gonna be my youth pastor, I'll tell you that right now, right? We would look at these people and say, absolutely not. If I had showed up to East Point with the resume of my failures, I'd be like, I would like to uh, serve as your youth pastor here. I would have gotten laughed out the door, right? Everyone would have been like, this is, this is funny, right? Get out of here, you. Like, it's crazy, but we do this. We do this all the time. We disqualify ourselves because we rate sin. That's kind of our human nature. And what would you say kind of universally, don't get too weird, first service got a little sketchy, uh, but what is kind of the worst sin that people could think of or talk about ish? Murder, right off the bat. Somebody yelled like murder and child and something else all at the same time. So we had this weird like puppy child murder for a service. It got strange, but yes, generally, right? That's not maybe universally true, but generally most cultures, the death of an innocent for no reason, uh, murder is considered kind of the worst of the worst. And what I love about this story in Exodus, where we're gonna land today, is that uh, God doesn't just handpick this murderer, which he does. He doesn't just redeem his past, which he does. He doesn't just invite him back into relationship with, him, with himself, which he does, but he gives him a future. He actually gives him a purpose and a hope. He says, yeah, you're broken, yeah. You're a mess, absolutely. God, says, God looks at this, this is Moses, by the way, or Moses, depending on your translation. God looks at him and says, I see you. I see you, but I know what I'm doing and I'm still handpicking you. I think sometimes we get this idea of, of people in the Bible or of pastors, of worship leaders, of people on the stage at church, right? Like this Christian celebrity culture idea there. And we're just like, Kimmy Bradley, huh? she's the best thing in the world, right? We just lose like Kurt Bubna. I mean, he's like, I love Kurt. He's dope. He's one of my humans. But we get this idea that if they're on stage, they somehow have this like resume that's somehow impressive. And the truth is that God handpicks broken people. God looks at us and says, no, no, no. I see your past. I see exactly what you did. God didn't run out of options, right? Like the valley wasn't out of people that were available to be a youth pastor when they asked me if I would possibly hire onto this job. God's not like, well, gosh, I don't really know. There's no one else going to Damascus. I guess this Paul guy might fit the bill. You know, we'll see how it ends. He says, I see you and you're broken and your heart is hurt, but I want to choose you and I want to give you a future. So the story starts in Exodus 2. If you want to open your Bibles, that's where we're headed. Bible apps, Exodus 2. 
It's a long one. It's a good one. It goes all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. I mean, it is, which is just fun to say anyway. Uh, but it is, it is a story, man. It is burly. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to punch through. I'm going to bullet point it. Uh, I tried to put the whole thing in a message and we'd be here forever. And I was like, I don't want you guys to hate me or throw things. So I was like, no, 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 we'll just bullet point it. Uh, but here's what's going on. Here's the stage. So the Israelites at this point have been in captivity. They have been uh, under Egyptian control for a few hundred years, a couple hundred years, right? So life is not, it's not good. It's no bueno at this point. Uh, and, and then what has happened is God has blessed them. So they've been fertile. So they have been making small Hebrew humans. Uh, and as they, they make more and more of these humans, the Egyptians start to get nervous and fear that they're actually gonna be overrun. They're gonna be overtaken. So the, the new Pharaoh, this new king comes up with this incredibly pragmatic and horrifically evil plan. And he's like, all right, here's the solution. If it's a baby girl, no problem, we'll keep her. Baby boy, throw him in the river. Like, that's in there. How can you read that and not just be like, what are you doing? How can that be a country, a nation's answer to overpopulation? Baby boys, go in the river. Like, it, the depth of human just depravity. I'm like, man, never ceases to amaze me. But this is what Moses gets born into, right? So Moses gets born. His mom looks down. Oh, it's a baby boy. Well, I love him, right? Don't want him to be dead. So she puts him in this little basket, kind of floats him to the edge of this water where the, uh, the royal ladies from the palace come down and bathe because she, figure, she figures if he's there and a lady finds him, you know, she'll be like, baby, right? And keep him. Like, that's kind of a thing. That's probably what people would do when they find babies. Um, so Moses gets found, actually gets taken in, gets raised as royalty, right? Grows up in the palace. I mean, that's like rags to riches story. It's like a Disney story waiting to happen, movie waiting to be made. See, that's funny because there is a movie that's been made by Disney about that, but that's all right. <laughs> Prince of Egypt, it was great. Uh, so then as an adult, Moses grows up, grows up as royalty. As an adult, he sees uh, an Egyptian overseer beating one of his fellow Hebrews, beating one of the workers. And Moses looks around. This has always really interested me because Moses looks around to see if anybody is looking. And then when he sees that nobody's looking, he's like, all right, I'm gonna kill this guy. Because I've heard this a bunch of times and one of the things I'd always kind of heard is it was this fit of rage. He was standing up for his people. Dude, he looked around. He was like, nope, nope, now I'm gonna kill him. Like, that's so sketchy. That is not okay. We shouldn't be okay reading that, being like, that Moses. You should be like, what a dirty bird. Like, that's, but that, that's what happened. So he kills this guy, doesn't think anybody knows. Finds out people do know. So he runs away to kind of the backside of nowhere, meets this gal, marries her, starts raising her father's sheep. You know, just, just killing the game, right? Working for your father-in-law, raising sheep. It's like, mm, life is good. That's terrible. No, that is not like a baller life. That is not a good thing. God shows up in a burning bush. There's this bush that's on fire, uh, and, and, but it doesn't get burned up. And I love, depending which translation you read, that is one of like my favorite passages. Because it's like, Moses saw a bush. It was on fire. It was not being consumed. And Moses said, I should go see why that bush is not burning up. It's like, what? who writes that? No one says that. I've never met Moses, but I promise you that is not what he said. I should go look. Like, come on. It's just, I don't even know. I just, it's ridiculous. But this bush is on fire. It turns out it's God himself in the bush, which is insane. And you're like, what? You actually met God. Yeah, he's right there. And God's like, okay, I have this plan for you. I'm gonna send you back to Egypt. So then Moses makes a pile of excuses. God gives him a pile of answers. Eventually Moses relents and says, okay, I'll, I'll go back to Egypt, I'll do this. Goes back to Egypt, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. God sends these 10 plagues that culminate in the death of all of the firstborns in Egypt, in the Egyptian households. And by the way, the death of all the firstborn livestock, that just seems like insult to injury at that point. It was like, I lost my child and my kitty. Like, I don't even know. Like, I said puppies in the first service and people got very mad. I was like, well, people might be less mad about cats. I don't know. I would be less mad about cats, but 
That's in there. Like, I couldn't believe, like, reading and actually studying this. You're like, and the death of all the animals. Okay. So all the firstborn animals die. And the story gets even wilder. It goes on and actually gets more and more ridiculous. But that's where we leave it for today because it's a great story. But again, what's the big idea? What's, what's the lens that we're looking at all of this through? It's that in Christ, in God, my past does not determine who I am or who I will become. Moses is a convicted murderer, right? When God calls him back to Egypt, he is immediately aware of his own failures. He's immediately aware of his past. Uh, Exodus 3.11, but Moses protested to God. He said, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I am a mess. He said, don't you know me? I looked around and then decided to murder a guy. Like, I'm the worst. Do you think for one second that Moses had forgotten that he was a wanted murderer? And oh, by the way, if he went back, he would be killed? Do you think a day had gone by that he didn't think about what it would be like to live in the palace again instead of living in the tent that he was? But I love God's response. It's beautiful. It's the next verse. It's Exodus 3.12. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. See, God doesn't just give him a promise. He doesn't just tell him, and I'll be there. Like, go team. He said, no, no, no. And you'll see this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And they do. That's as the story goes on. That, that's what happens. And what I love about this, again, is that, is that God looks at him and he doesn't say it's not gonna be hard. He doesn't excuse his past. He doesn't say, well, you know, your heart was in the right place. That guy did kind of suck. And he was hitting a guy. So, you know, it's okay. Like, he doesn't just wipe it away. He said, I see you. I see what you've done. And I'm still choosing you. I'm still picking you. Because Moses doesn't deserve anything. Again, he's a murderer, he's a nobody, he's a shepherd on the backside of nowhere. And this is a guy that grew up rich. If you saw him in a movie, you would not be cheering for him. You would see Moses in the movie and be like, that guy sucks, you'd be like, boo! Like you would be upset with him. He's not awesome. And God says, I see all of that and I'm gonna handpick you. I'm gonna handpick you for a purpose. And I love this, I love the story, it gets me, gets me right in the feels. It's like, oh, that's so good. But if that's all it is, if we read the Bible and that's our takeaway is it gets me right in the feels, you know, so what? Really, and I love it because Kurt relentlessly asks us that question, so what? Because if that's our takeaway, if that's what we know of God, if that's what we know of the Bible is good stories, we're missing it. I wanna be just crystal clear about this. We, we, we tend up, I don't know why, but we kind of magically have three things that we kind of give you or talk about every week as, as life application. Because we want it to be practical. In 2017 in Spokane Valley, with all of the tensions and all of the world and all of the life things going on, we want it to matter and to apply to your life, absolutely. Every week we want that. But these are not three things that if you go home and do better, if you go home and try harder at, if you go home and perfect them, that then and only then your past won't affect your future. That then and only then you'll be a good enough Christian. That then and only then God will accept you and love you more. Please hear this. A relationship with Jesus is not about you trying harder. Man, when I told my girlfriend at the time that I should go to hell, that if I died, I would go to hell because it's what I deserved. It's because I believed that I should be trying harder. So when we talk about this stuff, it is life application. It is things to think about and to study and to grow in. But they're postures, they're positions that we can put our, our, ourselves and our hearts in to where God himself can show up and do the work that needs to be done instead of me working really hard at it because you can't work hard enough to be good enough. That's the message. That's the gospel. It's God. It will be God and God alone who can redeem and restore our past and who gives us a future and a hope, life and life to the full. 
The so what from this message is look at Moses's heart. Look at his life posture in this and let's understand what he did and see how we can position ourselves in a similar way. So the first thing, first thing to do, which there are three things, oddly enough, uh, but the first, the first thing is to understand. It's to understand that we do have a past and it does affect us. I know that might seem a little counterintuitive with what we were just talking about, but the truth is we all have a past, right? The way we talk, the words we use, the accents we have, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, those are products of our history. Those are products of our past. My wife said I could pull off jeans this slim. I'm like, okay, right? That is a product of something I learned. I didn't think I could, but you know, it's happening. We are products of, my wife's like, eh, it's kind of happening. That's, <laughs> it's my wife. But we are, we are products of what we have seen, of what we have learned, of what we have understood. And I wanna be really clear about this. It does not define us. Our past doesn't define us and it does not determine our future, but it does affect us. It does play a part in, in who we are today. Again, when God told Moses that he was gonna go back to Egypt, Moses' past affected him. When he was like, God, I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy, why not? Well, because I murdered a guy, right? Like his past played into what he told God. All of that does. But what's incredible, especially even that instance in Moses, like he had this past and it did affect him, God actually took care of that. See, Moses had to choose to give God that piece of his history and then God actually handled it. If you read this in Exodus, uh, God says, oh, by the way, those people who wanted you dead, those people who, if you went back to Egypt, would kill you for killing that guy, they're gone now. They're gone now. I actually handled that little part of your past. That's beautiful and we blow right over in the story of Moses because there's seas parting and things exploding and pillars and columns and fire and all this stuff. And you're like, ah, but think about that. Moses had this past and God said, I've got it. I'll handle this detail. And knowing something is great. To mentally know something, to mentally say, I do know that I have a past and I do know that it affects me. That's solid. But if we know something and we don't do anything with it, so what, right? I mean, come on, like we have people, we have generations of people with so much wisdom in our lives, in our churches, in our businesses, everywhere that we are, in our families. And us younger generations, I'll own this, we ignore it. We ignore it, we don't seek that wisdom. And our older generations should be coming back to us and say, I know some things, let me help right? Because we don't do anything with all that we've accumulated and all that we know. Who cares? I love this Stephen Covey quote. He says, to learn and not to do is really not to learn. To know and not to do is really not to know. Mentally understanding something, that's a great start, but it is not the conclusion of anything. So the second thing on your outline is we have to give. We have to give our past to God. Because if we know that our past affects us and then just hold on to it, we're never gonna to get to move past it. We're never gonna have a future. We're never gonna have a hope because we're gonna live in that. Because our human nature, by default, we are emotional hoarders, every one of us. We just hold on to things, whether, you know, if you've been married for more than like 38 seconds, you know, like six weeks later, six years later, 16 years later, that thing comes up, except that one time in the car, you're like, oh my goodness, right? We, it's like, how do you remember that? You were wearing blue pants. Oh, I remember, and she does. And you're like, how? One time. But we do, we are emotional hoarders. We cling to things like it is our lifeblood, even if they're hurting us. Why? Because it's the familiar. Because even if this thing sucks, it's what I know. So it's what I'm gonna hold on to instead of releasing it, instead of giving it to God and stepping into this unknown. And that's what Moses did. He had to do that. He had to say, God, I'm giving you this. And then God did take care of it. How many of you guys, anybody been downtown or been in the carousel? I know it's closed right now. Somebody after first service, I use this dope carousel analogy and they're like, do you know the carousel's closed? I was like, no, I did not, but thank you very much. Only for a year, they're revamping it. But how many of you guys have ever ridden the carousel downtown? Like ever, 
Yeah, okay, my people. I love, I love that thing. I think that's the best thing in the world. Like, the carousel is amazing. My wife's like, you are too old to ride the carousel. And I take my cotton candy, my balloon dog, and I'm like, I am not, right? I love that thing. The carousel's the best. There's these horses. I think we have a picture of it. So the whole thing, if you've never been there, if you've never seen yeah. Okay, look at this. So the horses go up and down on those poles. The whole thing spins around. That's Black Beauty, has extra jewels in her harness. She's beautiful. I love that horse. I would stand in line, and I would, I would fight my brother to ride that horse. That is the best horse in the whole thing. I'm serious. That's a real thing. Ride that if you have it. You'll win every time. But the carousels, man, they're the best thing. So this horse goes up and down and it goes around and it's so much fun. And because on one side as it goes around, there's like this mechanical arm that sticks down and it dispenses these little rings. And when you grab them and it comes around to the other side, there's this giant like creepy clown face painted on the wall, right? It's huge, you're like, ah! Uh, but it's got uh, a mouth cut out and you whip the rings at it and if you get it in the mouth, like a buzzer goes off, it's like, ah! And like, you can win a thing and you could win another ride on the carousel, which means you could have like the best day ever. And you're just like, yeah, this is so good. I love the carousel. Like if you ever, oh, go ride it. I can't believe they closed it for a year. That's irritating. But the carousel is incredible. But back in the day, they weren't big on, you know, like safety features. That wasn't like a huge thing in people's lives. Like, ah! I've got lots of kids. Like, we'll just make some more. It'll be okay. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like my parents said that. I don't know if they actually did, but. Uh, so this horse goes up and down and around. And, you know, as a little kid, I was built, I was, I was sturdy, as I think how my mom would put it. I was just sort of rotund, stocky. Uh, so I always wanted to be able to grab these rings, but because I was, you know, deep and wide, I would sit on this horse and the only way I could prevent from falling off was to like lock my legs underneath it and lock my arms around the pole in front of me and just sort of hold on, just spend the whole ride just like, ah! right? Cause the horse is going, oh, and it was the best thing in the world. Cause like half of the thrill is not dying. Like I made it again, Dad! He's like, yeah. Uh, and so, and there's this little tiny leather strap that like goes around your waist that you could hold on to that attached you to the pole. And that was it. So every time it would be coming around and you'd be coming up on where those rings are, you know, and what do you have to do? The only way I would even have a chance of getting those rings, you got to unlock your legs. You got to let go of that pole. And I had to just hang just all the way off, just that little leather belt, like, ah, ah. But it was so worth it. It was so worth it because if I could grab that ring, oh, if only, if I could get a hold of that, oh, my whole day could change. I mean, that could be a game changer. A second carousel ride? Like, do you know what this means? Oh, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. And I know carousels, especially for some of you guys, some of my, my bearded fellow men are like, that beard's not real. He's got a glitter beard, right? Like, no, no, I do real man things too. I own guns and do all this stuff. But like, carousels are amazing. So some of you guys are like, carousels, like, psh. But think about it like this. Think about it like this. I know it might seem ridiculous. It might seem over the top, but... That, that horse, that carousel, man, that is our past. We will lock our legs around it. We will lock our arms around it. We will strap our waist to it. And we will just cling to it, just glare at people as they go by. No, no, no. Just every time. And you're like, hey, do you want to talk about that? No, right? And then you're like, oh my goodness. Like you could be free of this. You could not have to live in this. You could unlock your arms. You could, you could stop gripping that thing. You know, you're about to kill black beauty. Like you could let go and reach for this ring and reach for this hope and reach for this life and reach for this new thing that God might have for you out here. And I know it's scary because that little leather strap is really skinny. And I know you're a round child, but that's okay. Like you let go and you reach for this and you don't even know what you could come up with. And we just hang on. No, no. We just hold on to our past so tightly. And I know that might seem ridiculous, but think about it like this. 
as long as we cling to our past, as long as, as we make that our home, as long as we refuse to let that go, we will remain slaves to it. Our past will control us as long as we cling to it that tightly. So we have to understand, we have to say, I get it, I have a past. I chose to walk away from God. I have done some, some dumb things. I have made some poor choices. So we understand that, we mentally understand that. Then we take a step and we give it to God and say, God, this is yours, I don't get it, right? I can't carry this. And then what do we do? We get healing. That's three on your outline. We have to receive God's healing. Because we do, we need healing for our mistakes, for our pasts, for our sin, because it hurts. I think we can be honest about that, right? Some of the mistakes I've made, Matt talked a, a few weeks ago about sarcasm and about thinking back through the people that he's hurt with his words. I think about the face of like my wife when I've said something just cutting. You think about the, the, the sin that we've committed and just the stupid crap that we've accumulated in our lives. And it does hurt. So we need healing. We have to, we give it to God, but then we also have to receive his healing in return. And in Exodus 14, man, it's the best because God uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. But then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, wait, that's my, my whole labor force. Like this, this is dumb. So he rounds up his whole army and he chases them down and he's got them pinned against the Red Sea. And the Israelites are freaking out. And again, we read this and kind of just blow past it, but think about it. Think about the fear. Think about the desperation. Think about what's going through them. Like we're about to be murdered. We're gonna be slaughtered and taken back to captivity, be made slaves again. And then God says, no. No, I've got this. And what's he do? He parts the Red Sea, right? And the Israelites walk through on dry land to the other side. And then the Egyptians pour in. They pour in between this wall, these walls of water. And what does God do? Smash, right? Smash, brings the water down and just wipes out, wipes out everyone that was there. Every man, every horse, every chariot, just gone, just destroys it. Think about the, the Israelites' perspective on this. That Egyptian army that was chasing them, that represented the military might of this country that had enslaved them for hundreds of years, that army was their past. That army was, was this past of oppression, was this past of slavery, was this past of cultural indoctrination. That army to the Israelites represented their mistakes, their poor choices, and even the sins of their, of their forefathers, the sins of their family. That army was their history, and God just wipes it away. One fell swoop, just gone, off the face of the earth, gone. And, of course, does that mean they never think about it? They never talk about it? Your past is gone. Move on and never think about that hundreds of years of captivity. Like, of course not, right? That would be ignorant. Of course they talked about it. Of course they thanked God for the freedom. Of course they thought about it. Their past still happened. It still existed. They still talked about it but it didn't control who they were anymore. It was no longer the definition of who they would be. God says, you're not slaves anymore. You're my chosen people. Now walk in freedom because that's your past and I just washed it off the face of the earth. Look at what's behind you. I think if we get, if we get honest, I think there's probably not one of us that can't look back and see our mistakes and see our failures and see our sin. And when we see those, what do we normally do? We start to disqualify ourselves. We disqualify ourselves from relationship. We disqualify ourselves from responsibilities. We disqualify ourselves from calling. Look at Moses. Moses said, not me, God. God said, I wanna use you to lead my people out of hundreds of years of captivity. And they weren't just God's people, they were also Moses's people. And Moses said, not me, right? We use this, we use our failures as ways to say, I'm not worthy. I disqualify myself from this. And in the life of Moses, just like in the life of the Israelites, just like in my life and in your life, your past, our past, their past, it doesn't get to determine their future. 
It's the outrageous grace of God that gets to determine that and nothing else. Nothing else, not what you've done, not where you've been, not what you've said. Nothing else gets to determine who you are and what your future is. I told you about that, that conversation I had with my now wife about uh, deserving to go to hell because um, it's because of the choices I had made, because of what I had told God. And what I didn't know is even uh, as I had that conversation with her, we were in North Dakota, but um, the East Point had moved to this location. They were on the other side where the Xbox is. Um, and as they went to do the build out for that room, they invited everyone down who was a part of the church. And they said, you know, we're just gonna do a night of prayer and pray over the, the valley, what God is gonna do here, pray over the church and pray over people. If there's people that you still believe that God is gonna save that hasn't saved yet. And they invited them to write their names on the wall. And I didn't know as I looked at my wife and told her, I, I deserve to go to hell because I'm garbage, because I chose that, I deserve that. What I didn't know is that there was people who were praying for me and said, I refuse to let you believe that lie in your life that you are a slave to your past. I had no idea that my family was praying that over me. And they said, until you can pray this for yourself, I will pray it for you. Until your loved ones can pray that for yourself, until you can say it in your own heart, know that we will pray this for you. The outrageous grace of God determines our future, not our past. And I can tell you that I am only here, I am only a pastor on staff at a church because of the grace of God who loved me enough to destroy the lie that I was a slave to my past, that I would forever be the person who chose to walk away from God. And he destroyed that in me. He said, I love you. He said, you're my son. Come home. I love you guys. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, oh, you are the God of healing, Father. You are the God of hope. You are the, the God of renewal. You are the only one who can make us new. You're the only one who can speak truth to those broken and hurting parts of our past, those sins and failures that we believe own us and define us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to the hearts for the people here that are Christians that have been following you. Lord God, remind them. Remind them that they are your daughters and your sons and that you love them and they could have never wandered too far or done too much. Oh, Lord Jesus, and if there's anybody here today, if there's anybody that's watching online, if there's anybody that sees this that just, that just isn't sure, that just has led a life that's full of brokenness, that's full of sin, that's full of mistakes, and, and they're just hurt. Their heart just hurts. They're desperate for hope. They're desperate for joy. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Let them know that you're their king, you're their savior, you're their hope. Father God, and you are their perfect father, unlike anything that they could imagine on this earth. Lord Jesus. And if anybody's here, if you're here this morning and you're just thinking that, you're just thinking that, that you want that hope, that you want that joy, but you're not sure how to move forward. You say, God, my life is yours. You give him what you have and you take, you receive the freedom that is found in him. And that's it. That's how you start this journey, this life with him. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would continue, continue to remind us of who we are in you, that we're not prisoners, we're not owned by our past, Lord God, but that we are owned by you. We are your sons and daughters. Jesus, I ask all this in your name. Amen. Uh, if you guys, will you guys stand with me? We're gonna sing through one more song. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's called No Longer Slaves. Uh, and there's a, a verse in there, there's a line in there where it says, you know, you parted the Red Seas and let me walk right through it. My sins, my fears are washed away. 
And I just want you guys, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You might've been a Christian longer than I've been alive. We all have a past and it all still haunts us sometimes. Sometimes our past come back, comes back and haunts us. I would encourage you, sing the song with, with freedom. Make it just the cry of your heart. Say, God, bury that past. Just take it and put it at the bottom of the Red Sea. And let me live in the joy and the freedom that's found in you. Let's worship and I'll come back up and dismiss us. Yeah, I love that. I love that celebration, man. If, if you made a decision, if you're like, I wanna follow Jesus, I, I may not know all of the things, I may not be all there, but I am all in. We have a little new believer grab bag for you by the door. Grab that, but don't leave without telling somebody. Come and tell me, come and pray with our team. If you want to step into that healing from your past, if you want, if you want a little bit more hope, a little bit more joy, we'll have a prayer team down front, man. Come and pray with them, come and share with them, come and, and be a part of making this a place that God has renewed and restored. And can I just, can I just speak some of that freedom and that joy and that hope over you guys today? Your God, the God of the universe, our King and our Father has that for you. He has that for your life. You can be excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. You're allowed to get loud. I know it's church, but that's okay. That's okay. We're no longer slaves to our fear, to our past, to our history and our failures. We are daughters and we are sons of Jesus Christ himself. And we get to live in that. I love you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah, next week. <laughs>